you know, it's becoming more and more abundantly clear to me that one of the missions of Crown Refs is to become a catalyst behind changing the culture of sports with regards to the lack of sportsmanship aimed at officials. We plan on tackling this issue head on because the level of disrespect and the lack of accountability is at an all-time high. And the following parties are responsible for the physical and verbal abuse of referees. And I'm talking about fans, I'm talking about parents, I'm talking about coaches, and obviously players. You guys are the reason for the scarcity of officials and games are getting canceled because of it. Now at Crown Refs, we're gonna utilize this platform to produce change. Even if we can only impact one at a time, maybe we can start seeing a difference on the court. And we need all officials collectively to be on board with this and hold these people accountable. In this podcast, we talk about these issues and why 70% of new officials quit after just three years. This podcast features Trevor Huell, who is a 22-year-old NCA women's official from Vermont and a writer for Referee Magazine. He recently wrote an article on this title in the December issue, and he came on to speak about more of these issues. The Crown Refs Podcast, episode number 62, on deck. You are listening to the Crown Refs Podcast, the audio experience for basketball official officials. Serve the game. So in this article that I wrote uh, that'll be out next month, uh, a lot of my research found that we're kind of at a crisis level of epidemic um, across the nation about our shortage of officials. And this isn't just basketball. This is all sports. Uh, talking with the CEO of uh, NFHS, Mark said that basketball is probably the most affected because we're the most popular sport. There's the most amount of teams in the country. Um, so games, games are starting to be canceled for basketball. JV games are being canceled. Some varsity games are getting moved so we can have officials work those games. Um, officials are working double headers, uh, which never leads to a good situation. And, um, I think if we continue on this trend someday, we're just not going to have officials to work the games that are out there. And, uh, it's not going to look the way it does now. Have you noticed a shortage up in Vermont with like JV games being canceled because of lack of officials? Uh, we do a lot of double headers up here due to the lack of officials. But I'd say that if if three or four um, of our officials who are getting ready to retire end up retiring, uh, we're going to be uh, pretty hurt the next year or two. And that, that very well could happen. Just to clarify, you're talking about working double headers, but these are for school games. These are during the regular season. Obviously, we all Absolutely. work double headers and triple and quadruple headers throughout the year, so that's a good thing. But um, the fact that we have, you know, some states need to use the same officials for JV and varsity does um, talk about the the lack, the shortage, you know, throughout the country. And I'm sure with other sports, you'll see it a lot more. I know I do. Two other sports, I do girls lacrosse and field hockey, and I do have double headers as well. Um, a lot of games. I mean, basically, you can work any any day you want because there's a lack of officials. A lot of times on the lower level games, there's just one one official, um, which I'm not mad about because we get time and a half. But that's just me being selfish. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some other reasons for the shortage? You know, there's some issues that we face that are out of our control. Um, 
the social factors that are out of our control are, are the economy plays a direct role in the number of officials that we had. Referee Magazine and NASA came out with um, an article that said, if the economy is doing well, um, we're not going to have as many people looking to officiate that part-time job. If the economy is hurting, we're going to have people starting to sign up, look for that extra money. People love sports. Uh, I can officiate. They come and officiate. Um, and we can't control that. There's going to be that relationship no matter what. Um, other things that we can't control is, is you know, the way our societal culture has shifted um, from, you know, the 1960s to 2019. Um, we have many two-income households. Um, you got to worry about child care. People are working later. We have a much busier society than we used to. Um, the late nights of officiating, you know, games are played. They got to be played after school. They got to be played after work. Um, and then just the cultural shift to home life, having having two parents at home. Um, and those are the things that we just can't control. The things we can control, um, you know, a huge one is fan, player, and coach abuse. Well, this is uh, one of the main reasons, I think, why we're having the shortage is, is the absolutely from from fans, players, and coaches. You know, I said something on one of my last podcasts. We're dealing with a total, like, a culture of, of disrespect and um, just negative energy directed at officials before, like, fans even enter the gym. There's already just this preconceived notion of, you know, negative feelings towards, towards a referee. I, I don't know when it started to get worse. Um, I'm pretty young, so How it's hard you? for me. I didn't, I didn't live through that. I'm only 22. Okay. Um, I didn't really live through that shift um, where, I, where I was able to recognize it, but it's definitely shifted. Uh, social media has played a huge role in that. YouTube has played a huge role in that. Um, I think replay on the television where a call that looks like officials got right, and then they replay it, they slow it down to a tenth of a second, and every fan at home is jumping out of their seat because they're they're angry that the call was made incorrectly. Um, we only get to see it in live time. You know, everyone else gets to see it at that tenth of a second. And I think that the trust has been broken between officials, players, fans, and coaches. Well, that's one of the goals also of Crown Refs is to provide clarity. Um, for players, coaches, and fans, kind of like be a bridge between the referee, the coach, the player, the fan, developing that common understanding of the game because, you know, with announcers and broadcasters, sometimes they give out a lot of bad information about rules, about interpretations of plays, and it doesn't help the situation. Like, like for instance, you hear a broadcaster so many times say, I'm block charge plays. He was moving. <laughs> That's why it's a block. So then that puts out incorrect information on a really broad scale, like national TV. And then we have millions of of fans and players and coaches that are receiving incorrect information that they then take it into their games and into their experiences, which creates a whole new set of um, jobs for us, which is being able to deal and respond their comments like that when they're not absolutely you know, properly educated.
for what we tolerate, we promote. That's why it's yeah. very important, you know, to, to recognize where game management is, who is running the facility that time. We don't want to have to talk to, to fans if we're having, if there's, you know, a fan in the audience that, that needs to be removed. That's not something that we want to do. That's why we need to know where game management is. Utilize your resources. You know, and, and it, everyone has a different line in the sand. Um, but at the end of the day, a rule's a rule. Um, I know that the women's side of college basketball, um, our point of emphasis this year, one of them is um, bench decorum and sportsmanship. Um, and, and at the end, of the, there's a test question on, on what's a technical foul versus what's a warning. Um, I think that, that we all could be a little better at um, having the guts to make the right call. Um, if a warning's needed, a warning's needed. In high school, you know, you stop the clock, you give the warning. Um, I don't know about men's, but in college, you just, you give a warning, you let your partners know it doesn't go in the book. Um, what does men's do, Paul? Now, there's no official warning, but if you look in the CCA mechanics manual, there's something called a quote-unquote courtesy warning, which is basically an unofficial warning. Nice. You know, and we're not going to say, coach, that's your warning, because that verbiage never sounds positive, I think. What I, what I do is, coach, please, that's enough with the stop sign hand, you know, or mm -hmm. coach, that's it. Uh, but it's always a please. I'm always asking them, like, in a nice, respectful way. Like, I'm drawing my line in the nicest, most courteous, respectful way whenever I can, you know, whenever possible. And then it's on them. That's awesome. And I think this podcast is, I'm sure it's helped thousands of officials um, communicate with coaches better. I hope so. That's one of the definitely main pillars of my content is, is the management slash communication aspect of this game. Because it's something that takes years to really develop like you're just not you're not getting into this overnight and being able to really run the game well because it's just very difficult there's we just constantly have to keep learning you hear nba guys that have been in the league 20 years saying always learning continuing to get better there's just so much information out there that we need to continue to to strive to find and apply it to this craft absolutely couldn't agree more well said so you think the cost also is a, is a big factor to younger officials? You know, I remember when I was uh, 18 years old, I was getting involved in IABO. Um, my father has been one of my greatest mentors in officiating, and uh, he got me he got me into it. I've been following him around for – what's that? Your dad was a ref? Yeah, he, he works uh, high school um, and men's college, Division three. That's awesome. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I grew up going to games with him. Um, and, and I knew from, you know, I started officiating youth games when I was 15 years old, um, and just kept moving on up middle school games, freshman games. Then I eventually got my patch. Um, but it, the big deterrent to me was spending the money. Um, and I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do, but it was still a deterrent. I procrastinated because I knew I was about to drop a lot of money for an 18 year old kid. You got your uniforms, uh, you got your arbiter fee or whatever um, a signing fee uh, your organization has, um, and then your membership, your test, all that stuff adds up. You're looking over uh, a couple hundred bucks. You're, you know, 
250 plus is what I think I spent. Um, then I wanted to go to camps because I want to get better. Um, luckily, Iowa does a scholarship program where you can get reimbursed for some of your uh, camp fee. But that's still that's still money out of your pocket. That's money that um, opportunity lost. You could use something else uh, with that money. But I saw the bigger picture. But I think it's hard to explain to an 18 year old, 19 year old, someone who can give us a couple of decades um, in this craft is if you spend money now, you're going to make more money later. Um, and I think that a lot of people are a little short sighted and this is going to be a big deterrent. Yeah, I mean, we are independent contractors, so you ha- kind of have to view yourself as a your own brand, your own business. So all these fees and, and dues and camps, you know, that's just investing in ourselves. So if you look at it that way, like it's all an investment in yourself and you're going to make this money back, then that's a good way to look at it. I know I got into refereeing when I was 30 and it was during a transitional time in my life. So I wasn't I didn't have a full time job yet. You know, I was bouncing around part time. So, yes, the, the fees definitely can be difficult. And, and I know a lot of officials are getting in the game way younger, too, in their early 20s. So you're not you know, exactly established. You could still be in college. So the fees can be a deterrent for sure. Absolutely. And we can talk about ways um, to overcome that uh, later on. I think, you know, the other the other thing could be is a deterrent young potential officials, college age officials. Um, they could be gearing up to play their sports. Um, you know, testing time has always been, I don't know how New York does it, Paul. You guys test in the fall? Yeah. Yeah, they're finishing up now. Um, you know, anyone that's, any college basketball player doesn't have the time to take that test. Um, so what we've done in Vermont is we have a spring test now as well. So if you're, if you're a basketball player, you want to, you want to officiate, you know what, right before the AAU season starts, um, we got our test, get certified, go work a couple of low level games, get yourself into it, get your feet wet, um, and hopefully fall in love with it. Like I did. Trevor, I just want to take a moment to rewind. You talked about your dad being a referee. You know, I think, I think um, refs that grow up with their the, one of their parents as a, as a as an official really gives you a huge advantage. Talk to me about the experiences you gained as a young kid going to games. Paul, good and bad. I, I kind of just laughed at myself because the first article I, I wrote for Referee Magazine, um, I talked a lot about my father and his influence on me becoming an official. Um, I grew up in the locker room. I grew up free games. Um, the car rides, listening to the philosophy of basketball, listening to the philosophy of officiating. I saw the good, bad, but I also saw the ugly. Um, I remember I was five years old, sitting in the bleachers. My dad's in a game. Somehow, uh, the lady that the uh, site administrator had me sit with, uh, she was a college student. I think she was on the student council. She found out that my father was officiating the game, and uh, he calls a foul. She stands up. Ref, that call was so bad, your son even thought it sucked. <laughs> my, I, I laugh about it now. My face turned so red. Um, but what a unique opportunity to get to see your father get yelled at. Um, <laughs> but, you know, 
I grew up with, with a couple kids that their fathers also officiated and they chose not to take the officiating path um, because of comments like that. The, the main comment I hear from kids my age is I don't want to get yelled at because I don't think I can handle that. I like getting yelled at. Gets your blood flowing. Because I like the challenge to, ha- to how we handle it. Absolutely. I yeah, I don't like the actual feeling of getting yelled at. But again, it's, um, it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, I want to continue to talk about you, uh, you, um, you know, experiencing some, some of this fan behavior at an early age. So, so how, did you, how did that situation end? What did your dad say after that one? Um, I went home with a lot of swag from the school. Uh, the site administrator made sure that he, he gave us some, or me, you know, I got a hat, a t-shirt. Um, and, and, you know, I, it's something I've never forgotten. And the big thing I always was taught by him is don't interact with the fans. Just sit there, watch the game. You're a neutral fan and, and don't don't react. So I didn't, I just sat there quietly. I was probably the most embarrassed I'd ever been at that time. Um, and you know, the older I got, the more and more I saw it. Um, a unique experience for sure. But I saw more of the passion and the love for officiating by going to those games than I saw the negatives. Interesting. Um, all right, so let's go to this next one. So why people leave the avocation? You have 70% of officials quit after three years. We talked about that earlier. Why um, not feeling a part of something bigger than self? Yeah, so uh, part of this article that I wrote, um, I did about a month and a half of research uh, talking to different uh, human resource export, excuse me, experts, um, young millennial officials um, and people at Referee Magazine. And we found that you, the biggest attraction to millennial and Generation Z, basically anyone under 30, um, is that they want to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. So part of that's a mindset thing. We can look at it as I'm going out, I'm making money, um, I like what I do, and I'm going home. Or we can... We can say, wow, I'm part of this organization, phenomenal organization. Um, I have a lot of great coworkers. And, and we need to make our new officials feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Um, and that's, you know, going to Friday night social events, hanging out. You got a study group coming up. Invite someone new. Invite someone that people may not know. Um, and I think that's how we can start to make people feel like they're really a part of something um, it goes more than just officiating for me. I've created lifelong friends that I would never have met if uh, I didn't start officiating. And that's part of what keeps me in it. I, I love officiating the game of basketball, but the social part is um, equally as great. Yeah, because we can develop a different kind of bond when you go into battle, you know, with people. It's just a different kind of strength and, and a different foundation to your relationship. When you when you're in you know pressurized moments and and making mistakes, and you know we're able to just form these bonds and it's it's definitely a, you know a lot of my current friends are are mostly reps. 
Absolutely. Um, and you know, you're only going to get better from that too, because you end up stop, you end, end up start talking about officiating and philosophy rules, um, certain plays, and this makes you better. A lot of officials also get frustrated, I think, a little too quickly when they don't move up the ranks. I think we need to take a more patient approach. We've all had that feeling like one or two years in saying, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to, you know, for the pros. Um, but unfortunately, this is just not an overnight business where you're going to jump from level to level overnight. It's not like players when... They didn't have to go to college you know, a decade ago, and they could just jump right from high school to the NBA. Us as officials, we need to go through a very slow process. It's step by step. And I'm, I'm, everybody's path is different. I'm sure that there's a small percentage that do fly through the ranks. But the far majority, this is a slow process. Absolutely. And, and the understanding of that is super important. Um, can, you know, you talked about reps a lot. I think reps are important um, and getting your reps in efficient games, seeing plays. Um, I've gone, I've gone to tournaments where it's, it's ended up costing me money to ref three games with gas and, um, and th- other expenses. And it was worth it. It was better basketball than I normally see. And it makes you better. And if you want to climb the ranks, um, you need to invest in yourself. Yeah, I like that you mentioned reps. It doesn't matter the level. It doesn't matter, you know, the, the game type. It's a, it's all about getting on the court and putting in your time. It's just like going to the gym and working out, right? I mean, you got to get the reps in no matter if you're doing a game in the summer or the winter. Like last week, for instance, I had a Division two scrimmage. And then right after that, I had two fourth grade games, you know, and – I don't know. I, I like that paradox. I like, I like the fact that, you know, I take pride in working youth games and third and fourth grade CYO games. Like there's always stuff to work on. Obviously the more you go up in level, the more you're going to work on and the more it's going to apply to you. But if you take the approach that every time I step on the court, I can go out and work on things though. That's, those are reps. That's awesome that you do that. That's that's really great. You got to love the process. Everybody wants to get to the end end result, but you got to be in love with the process in the meantime. Like I'm happy regardless if I hit my goals or not. I'm going to I'm going to go 110% to try to hit them, but I know at the end of the day if I fail, I'm going to be happy regardless. That's that's a great growth mindset. And people with that mindset are just going to continue to grow and better themselves. And they're going to better the people around them. Appreciate that. Um, Not having mentors. I know you put that on one of your bullets. That's a big thing. I don't think we have the support, especially one, two, third year officials, you know, young in the game, maybe haven't made a lot of connections yet, are not being given the information or don't have access to the information. You know, that's why I'm like, I'm proud of where we're at with Crown Refs because, you know, I wish I had something like this five years ago. One of the things I look at in my career is so many people at high levels, division one officials, men and women, um, 
my father have taken me under their wing and I know that if I have a question about anything I can call them I can ask them to review film we can sit and watch film together it, it's been incredible it's helped me get better um, I can't remember who was on your podcast they talked about a mentor and a coach sometimes you can have the same person be both sometimes you gotta have people be separate um, and I, I, I love that line you know you gotta have a coach and you gotta have a mentor yeah that was Ron Foxborough and um, uh, he's just a really smart man really nice guy really loved hearing him talk I, I wanna be both I wanna be a coach and a mentor you know um, so that's that's what I'm looking to do do you think now I know we're a little bit different ages you being 22 you know do you think Crown Refs is, is having an impact or has a chance to make kind of a long term impact with the way we're, we're approaching you know social media and really building this network of officials online oh absolutely uh, that's the new age I think that uh, your shares um you know, officials are going to subscribe to Crown Refs um, because it is the premium uh, channel for officiating right now. Um, it's a phenomenal tool for all officials to use. Then they're going to share stuff. When they start sharing stuff, uh, we get a snowball effect on social media where non-officials get to see what's going on in the officiating world, spark some interest. Um, and, and I think it's going to have really positive impact on officiating this is a mentorship i you know listen to joey crawford i've listened to that podcast three times both of them um that's awesome it's there's so much to take i'm gonna listen to it again there's so much to take in it's incredible thank you for saying that yeah absolutely so yeah, I'm just continuing to to try to build this and keep this going and and add new elements, and um, you know we're doing that now by by collaborating with you. That, that was that was really cool to have you reach out to me. Remember the message that you wrote? Um, I was I was flattered and and you know you put together a really organized set here. So listen, it's all about collaboration with other officials and just just trying to raise awareness here. For sure. And, and this is a great way to do it. So we have ways to combat these issues, recruiting, use of social media or podcasts, um, telling our personal story. So telling a personal story of an official is going to help humanize a ref. And like you said, it could be maybe a player that that's watching on Instagram and, and, and just sees a story about an official. And he says to himself, wow, I've never even seen I, mean, I never even knew officials you know, did this, or this guy is from this city. Uh, it's just little things like that that are going to help humanize us across, you know, across many different levels. So November 24th, 2019, I am proclaiming this National Sportsmanship Day. And the great thing about National Sportsmanship Day is it lasts the entire year. And at the end of that year, it just renews and keeps going. So basically, every day from now on will be National Sportsmanship Day. Congratulations. Go spread the word. You know, I worked a scrimmage this year um, a couple weeks ago, and the coach came to our uh, the referee and the crew, 
and said, hey, at halftime, would you guys mind staying up on the floor and, and talking about what you guys go through as officials and then doing a little new rules clinic? And the referee in the game said, absolutely, we'll do that for you. Um, no one knows how much work you put into officiating. We talked about the 100-question tests that we have, um, study groups, hours of being in the book. Um, they just think that you grab your whistle, you run on the floor, and you know the rules just like everyone else does. So that was really cool. That really, I think that for for the ladies that were involved in that clinic for 10 minutes, really opened their eyes to what officials do uh, to try to be the absolute best they can uh, and to serve the game. Serve the game. Great three, great three words, right? Phenomenal. <laughs> so what else do we, what else can we do to combat some issues? You know, becoming a mentor. You see somebody, I, I'm a big fan of saying, go to your local youth games. You see someone there who's running up and down the floor with a striped shirt on. Where I'm from, uh, our town decided that they were going to um, hire as town employees the referees so they're no longer independent contractors. Um, so they get their... Ten dollars an hour, ten seventy eight is minimum wage in Vermont. They get their ten seventy eight an hour. No longer get cash in their pocket; it's taxed, and they get a check the following week. And you know, if those people are running up and down the floor to make ten dollars and seventy eight cents an hour, and then get taxed, there's probably something there, and we just have to go there and keep talking to them. Hey, have you ever thought about doing middle school games? Are you interested in middle school? Because I I know the assigner for the middle school around here. I can help you get some middle school games. I see a lot of potential. Um, You must work really hard at what you do because you've gotten a lot better since the last time I saw you. Creating those relationships and continuing open communication and going in, you know, my father and I, we go to the local youth league every year and we do a quick rules clinic um, and mechanics clinic for the new officials coming in um, and a refresher for the ones that have been there a little while. They're all high school age kids. Uh, Most of them play basketball. So it's pretty cool. And, and, you know, just becoming that mentor to a new official and getting them to become better comes back to mentorship. It is very easy to get lost in the politics of officiating, um, who do you contact, what assigner should you prioritize, um, and having someone who's been through that help you navigate the way um, and help you with your next steps, that's super important because one thing I never wanted to do and I still don't want to do um, is make the wrong decision in my career path. You know, it's better to be um, a day late than it is to be a second early. Mm-hmm. Patience. Um, and then I, I don't know how it works in New York, but in Vermont, JV games played first. Our varsity officials are asked to be at the game at the minimum an hour before the, their game starts. And watching not the JV game, but watch the officials. Watch those JV officials. What feedback can you give them to help them be better? I think that's going to be a really big key. I begged when I was a JV official, because I wanted to grow, I begged for varsity officials to be at the game 
and watching the game. And I got disappointed when I saw that they were on their phones texting. They never they never looked up because I, I was making mental notes of plays in my head that I wanted to run past them because I wanted to be where they were. Yeah, not I mean, unfortunately, not everybody wants to teach or not everybody, you know, knows how to or, or is, you know, passionate about it. So that's that's why I think, you know, I, I, with Crown Refs, one of the focus, one of the pillars is be a great partner and develop others. That's what I was passionate about before, you know, I hit the Internet was finding a group of officials that I can work with, that I can watch, that I can develop, that I can give them everything that I have in my mind about what they can do better. I want to I communicate that to them. I have a line that goes, I teach you, you teach her, she teaches them. And that's kind of the way, you know, Crown Refs has kind of snowballed. Since I started just teaching one person, and then I want that awesome. one person to teach two people, and then I want those two people to teach five others, and you know that's 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 the way we're moving. That's that's the vision I have. That's awesome. That that's a great ripple effect, um, and it's going to help the officiating community um, across the nation. So retention. Um, helping one another become better, finding study groups. You know, I have a group chat of a bunch of officials from Long Island that, um, you know, we've had this group chat for five years. It's got about 14 officials in it. And, um, man, there's been just thousands of messages throughout these last five years about plays. Now I'm talking, we'll be at work and you won't have your phone on you. And then you'll look on your phone. There'll be 94 missed messages. Maybe not recently, but there was definitely times where like, you know, the, the group chat just exploded over plays. So, you know, group That's chat awesome. is, is a form of study groups. So, you know, link up with, with, with some of your contacts and just have an ongoing dialogue, giving each other feedback um, on film as well, sharing plays, clipping plays and sharing them. We have such an advantage with technology. I remember recently hearing, um, you know, a retired official speak saying, you know, there is no excuse for you guys not to get better. Well, back in my day, he dropped the line back in my day. But um, it, it's true, though. You know, in the 80s, for officials to watch film, think about how difficult it was to, to get an actual tape, then get it mailed to you, then put it in your VHS, watch it, timestamp plays. But then how are you going to collaborate and, and share? You got to put it back in the mail. Or you have to invite 10 people over that are available on that one night to come watch. Like, so the point is we have such instant communication and, and sharing capabilities. So it's, it's created a much more quicker tempo with our learning and growth. So that's why you got to hack it and you just got to take full advantage of it. So technology is a, is a big key here. Absolutely. And, and I think that um, film is Incredible. Film doesn't lie. Film doesn't lie. Never. Um, and it's going to help us get better. And sometimes it's hard to watch, um, but it's going to help us get better in the long run. For sure, I'm it's an upfront investment. I'm glad you said that. Sometimes it's hard to watch. And what that means is sometimes we watch ourselves on film and we cringe. Right? We yeah. Cringe oh, yeah. That's good. That's good because you're identifying that. It's not making you feel good, which is going to create change. 
is going to create that change agent. So, you know, we're looking, it's always nice to look at yourself on film and say, wow, that was a nice charge call. But um, we want to find those cringeworthy moments because then we could start to eliminate them moving forward. For sure. I mean, I had a play last year that I wish I could forget about, but it's branded in my brain at this point. Um, and it was atrocious. It was absolutely atrocious. I blew the whistle. I called a block. Um, I was in poor position. And I got it on film. And I sent it to the crew. I said, guys, I am sorry about this. We talked about it at halftime. I apologize for it then. Saw it on film. Um, and, you know, I learned from it. What was so bad about open. Uh Well, I had, two, I had two competitive matchups in my PCA. I was looking at one competitive matchup. This girl got bulldozed over. She was in legal guarding position. She fell on her side. So I saw her on her side. I assumed that she didn't have a legal guarding position. I had to have a whistle. I called the block. It was a charge all day long. You called a all foul day. on the dead girl? I called a foul on the dead girl. It was horrible. <laughs> Paul, it was awful. They, they scraped her off the floor with like... It was Let horrible. Me ask this. How many times did you hit your hips? Not as many as Joey Crawford. Did you go more than once? I think I, I, think I blew my whistle. I came in with two, I think. I knew it. I knew it. Listen, let me you tell know, you. You know it's a bad call when you, when you start banging the hips. I'm telling you. It's, this is proven. This is just – it's not just me throwing this out there. I'm talking about hundreds of times where I've seen this happen. And the percentage of, of, of being correct when, when you, like, oversell something, it's really a low percentage, man. So, bas- like, basically, if you hit your hips twice on a block, it's probably a charge. Yeah. Yep. Because you're – I always look at you're trying to sell yourself on the call, not sell the people around you. And and when you got to sell yourself on a call, it's never a good situation. You know, that's why I just I mean, just to break it down in the most simplest forms, when you blow the whistle, just be right. Just have the confidence and be a thousand percent and blow your whistle if if you think there's a legal contact. But if not, leave it alone. You know, one of my greatest mentors uh, in officiating, uh, he's a Division One men official for a while. Um, he says this line, and it's phenomenal. It's better to make an error of omission than commission. It's better to leave error out of the whistle and be wrong than put error in the whistle and be wrong. Let me tell you something. I heard that line five years ago or something like that, and I haven't heard of it since. I'm so glad that we're revisiting this right now. Can you just continue to add a couple more layers to that line? Absolutely. You know, commission, you've committed. You've committed to making a call. And when you commit to making a wrong call, that's not good. Uh, error of omission, you've omitted it. You didn't put air in the whistle. You can, you can get past that. You let something go that probably shouldn't have been let go. And that's not as bad as, as calling something that, that should not have been called. That's always been like one of my biggest pet peeves is just guessing on a play and having an incorrect call. I've, I've always been much better, felt much better about just missing something because I wasn't sure and I didn't want to guess versus making something up. And I think this is a, one of our biggest weaknesses as a whole, as officials, is um, the errors of commission. For sure. 
completely so, agree. Yeah, that, that's really good. I'm glad you said that. Who who was your mentor? Can we give him a shout out? Yeah, absolutely. Alan Liberoni. Um, he's been he's been around a long time, and he's invested some time into me, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for serving the game, my man. And that that brings me right to the next point, you know, creating lifelong friendships. I go to, you know, my father and and Alan are really good friends. Um, He invited me to March Madness last year. We we went to um, South Carolina um, and and went to March Madness. I got invited back this year. It's an annual trip. That lifelong friendship would have never happened without basketball, without officiating. The next one's tough, Paul, you know, controlling fan, coach, and player behavior. And it go, I think it goes back to um, we promote what we tolerate. And, you know, we all hear those horror stories. Uh, the poor official in, in, I believe it was Michigan, um, that was assaulted by a coach, spent several, several days in the hospital. That stuff can't happen. Um, and, and we've created a culture where being abused is okay. Uh, verbally abused and it's only going to turn into physical abuse um it, you know i i relate it to like domestic abuse it doesn't start with someone getting punched it starts with verbal abuse um and and the same thing's accurate for fan coach and player abuse um we've we've put up with a lot technical fouls were always a scary thing um you don't want to call it technical You're, you don't want to have to call your signer do the paperwork that's that's a bad thing shows that you couldn't control the game. Sometimes it's appropriate. I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes it's appropriate. And sometimes we have to use that tool in our toolbox um, and make that difficult decision. Yeah, I think the the biggest problem with with fans is definitely at youth events. Um, You know, I know in my career, I haven't had too many issues like – at organized games, college or high school games with, with fan behavior, obviously be, um, because we have game management there and usually there's athletic directors there. So we have much more support. What the problem is, is when you're at a gym, a quiet gym on Saturday morning, there's really nobody there running the place and you have a second year official, you know, being verbally abused throughout the game. A lot of times we just don't have the tools to be able to handle that situation effectively it's it's not easy it's not easy for any official whether it's a veteran or uh, especially a, a newer one absolutely and i think i just read this article on on facebook and the details um, are not as strong as i'd like them to be but I, I believe it was a football game where officials just grabbed the ball and left so we're done we're not dealing with this anymore um and you know it it's not us punishing the kids it's not the officials that are punishing the kids. It's the people who can't conduct themselves in an appropriate manner at a youth sporting event that are punishing the kids. Shame on them. I, I, I think it, I think just the more that time goes on and the more things that are being documented and shared, that it's going to get better. It's going to get better because how, how much longer can people continue to act like this and think it's going to be okay? We're, we're blowing the whistle on so many things in society, you know, that where, where people are mistreating other people, but we haven't blown the whistle yet huh, on officials and what they have to deal with. But I think it's coming. 
And I think more conversations that we have like this, the more things that you know I can share across my platforms that incorporate coaches and players and fans, because we are the you know the four parts of this game, you know, players, coaches, refs, and fans. So the more we can all be on the same page and create these kind of conversations, then we can push the ball forward. I don't know. I think I think it'll I think it'll get better, but it might not. Um, might still, you know, continue to have to go through this rough patch. I think we're going to get out of it. Um, nose of the grindstone, and, and we'll get through it. Um, you know, sticking on on retention. Uh, you know, I, I talked about millennial officials. They want to be able to move up, and I think that allowing the officials who have worked for it um, the opportunity for growth is super important. You can only dangle a carrot in front of somebody for so long until they finally realize that they're not going to get the carrot. Um, and what I mean by that is um, this dream of I will become a varsity official can only be a dream for so long, you know, three, four, five years of being a JV official and not moving up. Even if you have the ability, the capabilities, you've worked hard for it. Um, people are just going to quit. You know, I didn't, I didn't get to move up. It wasn't fun. And that's just a new generation thing. Um, so allowing, you know, an official the opportunity to move up, whether they're partnered with a real senior official um, and, and the game's in good hands, even if the game's going to be a complete blowout. Um, I remember that first varsity game I got. There's no feeling like it. You know, second to that was the first college game I got. It was phenomenal. No feeling like it. Talk to me about the purple shirt program. Yeah, absolutely. So the the purple shirt program is a European based program um, in uh, European football, so American soccer, where young officials, I believe under the age of 18, it could be 16, but I believe it's 18. Uh, they don't wear the traditional uniform for officials working that game they wear a purple shirt. And that's to remind fans, coaches, and players that, hey, you know what? We're just kids. We're out here working. We don't care who wins or loses. We're out here to be fair and impartial. Um, cut us a break. So the purple shirt is kind of promoting the fans to be empathetic for the younger officials which I think can lead to them showing empathy during a real game. That's a good idea. I like that. So, so if we, one of your, another of your ideas was to have college players take the test and work AU games to get their feet wet. Yeah, absolutely. We can kind of incorporate that that idea. One hundred percent. I think that you know the spring test allowing college players to work some games, be on the other side of the whistle. You know, that's a big thing. With There's some coaches in Vermont who have been on the other side of the whistle. And what a profound impact it's had on perspective. Empathy. Yeah. It's, it's just a, a, a really good character trait. Um, so in closing, we are all recruiters. We definitely need to change this uh, sportsmanship culture. You know, you got a neighbor who loves basketball, who loves field hockey, lacrosse, soccer, whatever it may be, um, and you guys connect over that, start talking about officiating. 
Um, it's a scary start for some people, but it's certainly worth it to me in the end. I can never imagine my life without officiating. Thanks for listening. Please go share this with a fellow official. Make sure you subscribe, and it would also mean the world to me if you left a review on Apple Podcast. Have a great day. 